What's up and welcome back. Tanner Hoops with you in the sports pen one day after Labor Day 2019. I missed you guys, although it was nice having a little extra break, a little long weekend. I did nothing but watch football. I was lazy, I sat down in my easy chair, and I watched football all weekend long. It was a great Labor Day. And I'm going to break that football down for you over the course of the next hour. Plus, I'm going to give you my predictions where each team is going to finish in their respective NFL divisions. Now that we're done with roster cuts, we've got some signings out of the way, where each team is going to finish. I'll give you my predictions. Plus, we'll check in in China. Take a look at the World Cup of Basketball. Continued on this morning, and the U.S. found themselves on upset alert. Did they survive? If so, how? We'll break it down over the course of the next hour. But I'm going to start with college football. Let's take a look at the top 25. Let's go day by day, team by team, and break down the top 25 matchups and others of pertinent interest to our listeners up in the Upper Peninsula area. So I tell you what, let's start back on Thursday. We had four ranked teams in action that night, including the defending national champs, the top-ranked team in the land, the Clemson Tigers, opening up at home with a conference game again on a Thursday, and they won 52-14. They throttled Georgia Tech, a tough way to start the Jeff Collins era for the Yellow Jackets. Clemson did so while Trevor Lawrence, star quarterback, Heisman favorite, didn't play particularly well. He finished the ball game 13 to 23, 168 yards, a touchdown was picked off twice. And yet they still won. Not just one, they crushed Georgia Tech. Absolutely blew them out of the water. Clemson is showing off their depth. It's not just Trevor Lawrence. It's not just Travis Etienne, who did have a big night, by the way. But even when one key cog isn't performing at the level he should be, they respond as a team. As a team, the whole the sum of the parts is greater than the individual. And that's why Clemson is en route to their second straight national championship, their third in the last four years, if they continue playing like they did on Thursday night. Also Thursday, UCF, defending champs from two years ago, as they say, 17th ranked in the country. They opened up their season with a blowout of Florida A&M, 62 to nothing. They had two different quarterbacks, each pass for two touchdowns. Brandon Wimbush started the game, and then Alex Harris came in and finished it off. Now, granted, they played Florida A&M. It was a good start for UCF as they raced out and did exactly what they needed to against a much weaker opponent. They'd take care of business and show that they are not going anywhere, even with the quarterback turnover. How important is it that they have multiple quarterbacks scoring for them, scoring multiple times? Well, it's huge considering they're down to the third string. Because Mackenzie Milton getting hurt in week 11 of last season. Remember that? A gruesome injury. And then Darnell Mack injured during camp. Wimbush, Harris, they come in third and fourth string. And they help the Knights roll. UCF, no problems in week one. Texas A&M, 41-7 winners over Texas State. The Aggies ranked 12th this year. I said it before, I think Texas A&M is going to be the most improved team in college football this year. That doesn't mean they'll be a playoff team, but they're going to take a big step forward from where they were last year. And they were still pretty good last year, and they made a statement on opening night with a 41-7 win over Texas State. Granted, Texas State, but they still came out and took care of business. No matter who's in front of them, They took care of business, and they left no doubt. Now, the interesting thing is going to be this weekend, where you have Texas A&M playing Clemson, number one against number 12. Now, this is really going to be a good measuring stick for Texas A&M to see how improved they are from last season. We're going to learn a lot about them this weekend. 
I can't wait. That's going to be the game to be watching. The final ranked team to play on Thursday night was number 12, Utah. They were at BYU. I thought that'd be a closer game than it was. Utah won 30-12, but Utah didn't look impressive doing it. I thought Utah would win, but I thought they'd look impressive doing so. I thought BYU might give them a battle. They didn't, but Utah just kind of coasted to that win. They didn't wow me. They didn't impress me. They really struggled in the first half. Jury's still out on Utah for me. A lot of people say they are going to be a college football playoff team. No way. No way this team finishes in the top four at the end of the regular season. It's just not going to happen. They might win the Pac-12 this year, but you win the Pac-12. Good for you. What do you want? You want to be in the college football playoff for beating teams like Oregon, Stanford, teams that are maybe right at the fringe of the top 25? Now, Utah has themselves. I don't think they finish 13-0 anyway. They'll get tripped up at some point because the Pac-12 is all about parity. Utah is not going to make the jump from playing in the Cheez-It Bowl last year to playing in the college football playoff this year. They're better, but it's not going to happen that quickly. Let's move to Friday. Michigan State 28-7 winners over Tulsa. Sparty ranked 18th to start the year. How you like that if you're a Sparty fan? There were a few boos early on. Brian Lewerke, Michigan State quarterback, said he understands it. Fans are frustrated with the lack of offense. However, the defense, it's got to be celebrated if you're Michigan State, the defense held Tulsa to negative 73 yards rushing on Friday night. Tulsa came in there, a few running backs saying, eh, 200 against Sparty? That's reasonable. We can get there. Not even close. Just missed it by a little bit. Sparty made a statement defensively they're going to have to all season long because the offense, you know, 28 points against Tulsa, it didn't totally inspire me. I'm sure it didn't inspire a lot of you either. Offense is still the question mark for them, but defensively, Sparty looks good here early on. How about Wisconsin? 19th ranked team of the land. They crushed South Florida on the road 49 to nothing. Well, Jonathan Taylor, I don't know if he's going to get the invite to New York for the Heisman ceremony when it's all said and done. It would be a mistake to overlook him completely. 16 touches for 135 yards. He averaged over 8 yards a carry with a long of 35 and two scores. Jonathan Taylor is making his case to be the top running back in college football this year. The only one who can challenge him is Travis Etienne. And right now I'd still pick Jonathan Taylor. Despite that, the quarterback class here looks so deep, he's going to have a tough time getting to New York. But despite that, he made a statement on Friday night. Let's move to Saturday. I know neither of these teams was ranked, but Boise State come from behind victory over Florida State. Oh, man, if you listen to the broadcast, you could hear Florida State is back, leading by 18. They had 31 points at halftime, and then they get shut out in the second half. Boise State goes into Tallahassee and beats a team that had won a national championship just six years ago. It's amazing how far Florida State has fallen from grace. Boise State winners, that was kind of a fun one. Another fun one, Maryland 79 nothing. they beat Howard 79, of course, the jersey number of Jordan McNair, the offensive lineman who passed away during training camp last year. Had to be a special moment when they recognized that. Ohio State, fifth-ranked team in the country. They raced out to a great start against Florida Atlantic en route to a 45-21 victory, but then they plateaued. I don't know if that's taking a few starters out, letting the second team come in and get some reps. 
But either way, that gives you a little bit of concern if you're worried about Ohio State's depth. Maybe a little bit of a concern going forward. A small one, but it's something for Ryan Day to address going forward. How about this one? Triple overtime, 21st-ranked Iowa State, 29-26 over FCS Northern Iowa. Remember the show last Wednesday? I said Iowa State would be the team of the Big 12 who does not live up to expectations the most. They lose Hakeem Butler and David Montgomery. How can they live up to that? Those fans think they have the team that can be top 15 at worst this year. I don't see them living up to that. And getting taken to the wire to triple overtime by an FCS school, albeit the fourth-ranked FCS school, is not a good look in week one. This one, another fun one, the fighting Les Mileses. Kansas had come into the season winning six games in the last four years. They pick up a 24-17 win over Indiana State to begin 2019. Les Miles victorious in his Kansas debut. Nebraska, an extremely uninspiring 35-21 victory over South Alabama. Huskers ranked 24th in the country. They struggled to put South Alabama away. By the way, they were the team in the Big Ten that I said would not live up to expectations the most. Washington, 13th ranked team in the country. No problems with East Washington. They went 47-14. Again, it's East Washington. What do you take away from that? Second ranked Alabama, shut out by Duke in the first quarter. Nothing, nothing. Granted, they did have some players who were suspended one quarter for disciplinary reasons. Then they got them back and the tide started rolling. 42-3, Alabama makes a statement over Duke. North Carolina, well, they almost blew it toward the end, but they hang on a couple of times to beat South Carolina 24-20. to Mac Brown victorious in his Tar Heel debut. Penn State running wild over Idaho 79-7. to No problems for the Nittany Lions. Georgia State got a nice payday and a nice upset victory on the road. 38-30, they beat Tennessee. Georgia State, by the way, was paid $950,000 to come into Knoxville and play that game. They come away with a victory. Other ranked matchups this weekend. Stanford, 25th in the country, 17-7. They beat Northwestern. It was a game that didn't feature a whole heck of a lot of offense. He knew Northwestern wouldn't bring back the same offense without Clayton Thorson. For Stanford, K.J. Costello injured early. It just wasn't the same game as we were expecting. This matchup last year would have been a lot more fun with Clayton Thorson and Bryce Love, but as it is a 17-7 win for Stanford. Syracuse, no problems over Liberty, nor should they have had any. 24 to nothing. they beat Hugh Freeze, who was coaching from a hospital bed. He got out of the hospital. He was reclining in a hospital bed at the stadium, coaching from one of the press box booths. Michigan overcame a slow start in the seventh-ranked team of the country, beat Middle Tennessee 40-21. to Middle Tennessee actually scored first, and then Michigan remembered who they were playing and who they are, that they have college football playoff and Big Ten championship aspirations this year. Iowa, another team that started slow. They run wild in the second half. They beat Miami of Ohio 38-14. Iowa trailed for a while in that one, 7-3. LSU, sixth-ranked team in the country. No problems against Georgia Southern. They roll 55-3. The only matchup that featured two ranked teams this weekend, Saturday night was a really good one. 16th-ranked Auburn took down number 11 Oregon on a last-second touchdown pass. Bo Nix who was in attendance when Auburn won the national championship in 2010, 
was literally living the dream, quarterbacking the Auburn Tigers through the game-winning touchdown with nine seconds left to beat Oregon 27-21. And it was a great comeback story because Nix really didn't play well up to that point, especially in the first half he struggled. But when it counted, Nix was able to help his team mount the comeback and top Oregon. By the way, Oregon, the only ranked team to lose this weekend. Well, because they had to. They were playing another ranked team. But the top 25 went 24-1 and this weekend. Overall, 24-1. and Best record for the top 25 in Week 1 since 1989 when the poll was expanded to 25 teams. Georgia, third-ranked team in the country. They roll past Vanderbilt 30-6. to Yeah, it's going to be another good year for the Dogs. They'll be knocking on the door for the college football playoff again. How about this? Wyoming spoils Kelly Bryant's Missouri debut, 37-31 the final, as the Cowboys pick up the victory on their home turf. 10th ranked Texas, 45-14, they roll past Louisiana Tech. Not many problems with them. And then 23rd ranked Washington State, the fighting Mike Leeches, 55-7, they top New Mexico State. Not a lot of problems for that high-octane offense as well. Sunday night, only one game. And Jalen Hurts is everybody's way-too-early pick to win the Heisman this year. He's mine. Responsible for six touchdowns, albeit it was against Houston, as the fourth-ranked Sooners won 49-31. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, now Jalen Hurts looking to go back-to-back-to-back in the Heisman Trophy. And it probably means Lincoln Riley is on to the NFL after this year. And then finally, last night, Notre Dame, ninth-ranked team in the country, 35-17 winners over Louisville. As you know, I watched that one intently. The Irish started hot. Louisville started hotter, went up 14-7. to Then the Irish scored 21 straight points. Louisville never got closer than 11 after that. For Notre Dame, it was a game where their quarterback play wasn't very good. Ian Book really struggled. He did have a good opening drive, including a 37-yard run, the longest of his career. But he struggled for the most part. That's got to be better if Notre Dame wants to contend this year, wants to get back to the college football playoff. That has to be better, and I think it will be. The linebacking core has to be better, and I'm not sure that will be. I tell you what, if I'm an option team like Navy, I'm just salivating at the thought of playing Notre Dame because the option was working for Louisville last night. Although you got to give a lot of credit to defensive coordinator Clark Lee. After those first two series, he effectively shut down the Louisville offense. Notre Dame picked it up a little bit in the second half, but still a much-improved Louisville team hung around. I tell you what, though, I'm okay with the score. I thought Louisville would be a pesky team, give Notre Dame some trouble. I thought they wouldn't cover the spread, which they didn't. Spread was at 21 points. I said Notre Dame by two scores. Ends up being an 18-point victory. I think it's the way it happened is what bothers me, which gives me pause. But that is a look back at week one of college football. Week two is going to be a dandy. By the way, game day heading to Austin this weekend, and we are going to have live coverage of Stanford USC here on ESPN-UP. Pre-game coverage set to begin at 9. With that, let's take our first time out. When we come back, I'm going to give you my projections for all eight NFL divisions with opening night just a couple days away. That is next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you for segment number two. As promised, I am going to give you my standing-by-standing, division-by-division look at the 2019-2020 NFL season, which we are 72 hours away, a little less than that, from kicking it off. 
Man, I can't wait. I know you can't either. But I tell you what, this is what I'm going to do. We'll look at all eight divisions now that we've had roster cuts. We've had a few more signings, maybe a few that we still need to get taken care of. A few guys jump in teams. Most of us have had our fantasy drafts. Now that all that is out of the way and the rosters are, for the most part, set, I'm going to give you where I think each team is going to finish within their division. And we'll start in the AFC. Let's start out west. Starting from the bottom, I've got Denver finishing at number four, Oakland at number three. Oakland has a flat-out better roster. They had a good offseason. They went out and got Antonio Brown. I know he's a diva. I know he's a headache, but he's a good football player, and he's going to help that team win some ball games. What did Denver do this offseason? Other than Noah Fant as a first-round draft pick, which I bet he'll be fine, by the way. I like Noah Fant, but I don't think he puts Denver above any of the other three teams in that division. Denver's quarterback situation worries me. Drew Locke, who's relatively unproven. I like, by the way, but he's relatively unproven against Joe Flacco, who's aging out of the league. He's got that Super Bowl ring from six years ago. To me, Denver just doesn't have a good enough roster to contend in that division. You've got Oakland, who I'm not sure is going to be a 500 team, but they're going to be significantly better than Denver this year. Number two, I've got the L.A. Chargers, which means the Chiefs are my pick to win the division and go back-to-back in the West. I think it's going to be the same look as last year. The Chargers may have the second best record in the AFC, but they're still going to have to play in the wild card game because the team they come in behind is Kansas City. And I don't think that changes whether Melvin Gordon is playing or not. Kansas City has got a really nice team. Pat Mahomes is going to do his thing. I think he will be the MVP this year now that Andrew Luck is retired. Damian Williams is going to do just fine. Running backs under Andy Reid always do really well. Plus, they picked up Shady this weekend. LaShawn McCoy now in the backfield. Chargers have a fine team themselves. Phillip Rivers, if he puts up another MVP season, he'll have them right there. They just don't have the firepower or the coaching that Kansas City does. That's not to say they're lacking in either of those categories. Just Kansas City has an excess. Let's go to the AFC North where unpopular opinion, I'm picking the Pittsburgh Steelers. I believe with the headaches gone, the culture there is going to be returned. Ben Roethlisberger has won multiple Super Bowls with this franchise. I believe that he's got the weapons in place to win that division with James Conner stepped up nicely last year and Juju Smith-Schuster, I think, is going to take a huge step forward this year. Vance McDonald? Maybe. Maybe. We'll see what they get out of their tight end play. Offensive line is going to be good. Their defense is going to be really good. Pittsburgh, to me, has the mix of talent and culture more than any of the other teams in that division that I'm picking them to win it. The Cleveland Browns, they are the most talented team in the North. But talent does not always equal success. Just look at Duke basketball this past year. Reddish, Barrett, and of course Zion Williamson, they don't even make the Final Four. You are putting a team together with Odell Beckham Jr., who can't stop thinking about his ex, can't stop talking about them publicly, the New York Giants, Kareem Hunt, guys like that, under a first-year head coach, that locker room is going to be a powder keg. And if things don't start the way they're hoping it does, if they don't live up to expectations in the first four weeks of the season, then all it takes is one flare, one temper to get things going. I'm going with Pittsburgh over Cleveland in the north. Baltimore coming in third. They won't be far behind. Then Cincinnati fourth. They will be really far behind. How about the AFC East? Well, it's no surprise. I'm going with New England to win that division. Patriots, the defending Super Bowl champions, they're not giving us much reason to think they won't be there again this year. They'll have to fight for it. 
But New England certainly has a good enough team where they can win another Super Bowl this year. Josh Gordon, he's back. If he keeps his nose clean, well, he's going to be really good. Tom Brady is going to love throwing to him. He looked good in the one preseason sample we got last week. Julian Edelman's going to do his thing. James White, Sonny Michelle in the backfield, they'll be fine. And then Ben Watson, once he gets back from suspension, I think he'll fill into the Gronk role pretty well. No one can take Gronk's place. No one can fill his shoes. But Ben Watson is a pretty good tight end. I think he's going to stick there. Defensively, eh, per usual, they're not going to win Super Bowls based on their defense. But they're a good group back there. Don't you worry. Second place in this division, this is where it gets tough for me. But I think I'm going to go with the New York Jets. Everyone says Sam Darnold's going to take a step forward. I don't know what that looks like. I don't see it. But then again, it's the East. It shouldn't take much of a step forward to get to second place. Le'Veon Bell being there, I don't think he'll be as good as he once was taking the year off. But he'll still be pretty good. Here's the thing. Third place, I thought Miami would be the team there. But then they go out and name Ryan Fitzpatrick their starting quarterback. I don't know if I like that move. Maybe it's a tank move. But I figure you trade it for Josh Rosen. If he pans out and becomes all that he was said to be, what are you tanking for? You don't need a quarterback. Give Rosen a year to get some experience under his belt. See what he can do for you. I didn't like Josh Rosen coming into the draft. Not personally, although I know he's unlikable to a lot of people personally. I didn't like him as a quarterback. But I kind of feel bad for him. It's hard to think of somebody who's gotten a more raw end of a deal in recent memory than Josh Rosen his first two years in the league. It's because of that and Buffalo's defense, that I'm going to pick the Bills to finish third and Miami fourth. Buffalo won't have a lot offensively, but their defense is going to give teams problems, and Sean McDermott's one of the more underrated head coaches in football. I have Buffalo finishing ahead of Miami for third and fourth, respectively, in the AFC East. And finally, let's go to the South, where this was a really tough one. I didn't decide on this until I came in today. That's how tough it was for me. I had Indianapolis as the clear-cut favorites until about a week and a half ago, and then you know what happened. So now who's my pick? It was up for debate between Houston and Jacksonville. And despite their erroneous ways this weekend, I'm going to go with the Houston Texans to win the 2019 AFC South Championship with Jacksonville finishing second. Houston may not have put themselves in a good position long-term, but short-term... I like their team. I like their team a lot. If Deshaun Watson stays healthy, if Will Fuller stays healthy, they've got a good enough group that they can win that division. You take Indy out of the equation, I don't know what Tennessee is going to look like. They could finish 6-10 and or 10-6, and but without Taylor Lewan for the first quarter of the season, I'm not too high on them. Jacksonville's defense, I think, will be a lot better. I think they're going to be back to the 2017 form, and Nick Foles. By all accounts, he has been exactly what Jacksonville's been looking for. Which, by the way, if you're still drafting fantasy football, I like D.D. Westbrook a lot. I took him in two drafts. I like him a lot. Now combined with Nick Foles, could be a real sleeper. D.D. Westbrook, wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You can get a chance at him in mid-round. Go get him. Go get him. So I'm going to go with Houston over Jacksonville for one and two in the AFC South. Number three, I go with Tennessee. Tennessee quietly puts together about nine and seven seasons every year. They do. It's almost not possible for the Titans to finish anywhere outside the seven to nine win mark. Indianapolis, with all the dysfunction that they're going through right now, Jacoby Brissett, I just don't trust him enough. Not right now. Not in this division. 
He's got a 4-11 record as a starting quarterback in Indianapolis. I just don't see him hitting his upside. To me, the upside for Indianapolis is finishing at best third place. And Jacoby Brissett has to be on point for that. I'm not sure that he's going to get there. So right now, I'm going with Indianapolis fourth. Not by a long shot, but they are going to finish fourth in my book behind Tennessee. So those are my predictions for the AFC divisions. In the West, you've got Kansas City, L.A., Oakland, Denver in that order. The North, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Baltimore, Cincinnati. In the East, New England, New York, Buffalo, Miami. And in the South, Houston, Jacksonville, Tennessee, and Indy. I tell you what, we owe you our next time out. Before we go to break, our weekly message from the MHSAA. They love to do that every Tuesday during the school year. We'll give that to you and then... I give you my picks for the NFC divisions next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back, Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Tuesday afternoon. Feels like a Monday. I liked having my Monday off yesterday. Hope you had a great Labor Day. Here's your Sports Center update. On Sunday, Justin Verlander tossed his third career no-hitter as the Astros topped the Blue Jays 2-0 in Toronto. It was Verlander's second no-hitter at Rogers Center, making him the first pitcher in Major League history to throw multiple no-nos at an opponent's home ballpark. This weekend, the New York Yankees made Major League history by placing their 29th player on the injured list. That is a new record. Giovanni Urshela hit the IL on Friday. He is now in jeopardy of not reaching the minimum number of at-bats to qualify for the American League batting title. And finally... Two Guinness World Records were broken right here in Michigan this weekend. In an effort to celebrate their 25th year of operations, Zap Zone Laser Tag in Farmington hosted a laser tag tournament. The tournament attracted 974 participants, four times what Zap Zone was anticipating, and lasted 26 hours before a winner was determined. Both the 974 participants and the 26-hour-long laser tag marathon were world records. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. Continuing on with my predictions for the NFL this season. Again, we're kicking off less than 72 hours from now with the Packers and the Bears Thursday night football to get it going. By the way, we'll have an NFL doubleheader on Sunday here on ESPN-UP. It starts at noon when reigning MVP Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, they get a stout test early on as they take on Jacksonville and that revamp defense. That is at noon on ESPN Radio and ESPN-UP. Then at 4, the new-look Seattle Seahawks. Talk about a revamp defense. Take on the Cincinnati Bengals. Noon and four, a doubleheader Sunday here on ESPN-UP and online with our app. So I tell you what, looking at the NFC now, let me give you my standing-by-standing look at each division, and we'll start out west. Fourth place, I'm going with the Arizona Cardinals. They might be fun to watch this year. And I picked up Kyler Murray in a couple of fantasy drafts because who knows? Maybe the upside is there. Maybe under Kingsbury, he puts up the numbers that he put up at Oklahoma. Maybe it won't be a smooth transition. I don't know. I don't know what to expect from them right now. But I do know that division is going to be too good that Arizona just doesn't have the upside to finish any higher. Maybe third place. Maybe third at best. But I think San Francisco's got a better group overall. I think they're more sound. And that's why I'm going with them in the three spot Jimmy Garoppolo's got to be better. 
He's just got to be better. But I think Matt Breed is a player that a lot of people are sleeping on. George Kittle, obviously, really good. The defense, yeah, it's got some holes there, but there's some stuff that they can work with. I think San Francisco's got a good enough team to finish third in that division. Behind the L.A. Rams, who I'm taking at number two, and the Seattle Seahawks at number one. I've said for a long time, even before the deals this weekend, I thought Seattle was going to win the NFC West this year. I still do. The Rams went all in on a title last year. They didn't get it. They're not able to bring everybody back that got them to the Super Bowl. They'll still be pretty good, but I don't see them winning this division. Seattle got better this offseason. The Rams are still hoping Todd Gurley can be what he used to be, and I'm not sure that he's going to be. So I'm going with Seattle in the West over the Rams, followed by the 49ers and the Cardinals. Plus that revamped Seattle defense, that front seven is just insane. So now we have a real GM battle between Seattle and Cleveland. Which front office is going to be able to hang up that executive of the year plaque? Let's go to the North. Coming in fourth place, I've got the Lions. And Lions fans, if it's any consolation, that's where I put the Bears going into last season. And look how that turned out. Matt Patricia just hasn't impressed me. He hasn't given me a lot of reason to think that he's going to be better than the other three teams in that division. Stafford has been fine, but they haven't built up around Stafford, and that's not his fault. That's not Stafford's fault. I like him. I think he's one of the more underrated quarterbacks in football, but there's not a lot of pieces for him to work with. You hear about Matt Patricia trying to build up the Patriot model, trying to bring in old New England Patriots. The thing is, they're old New England Patriots for a reason. Bill Belichick got his use out of them. He was done with them. He let them go. He got younger, better talent. Danny Amendola might help, but his best days were in New England. I see the thought process from Patricia. If anything, you get that culture there. But at some point, talent does have to matter. There has to be a talent aspect to it. As in the last segment, I think Pittsburgh isn't the most talented team in the North, but I think they'll still win it because of culture. Well, they have significantly more talent on their roster than Detroit does. They're in a better position to compete in that division. If the Lions prove me wrong, I'll come back on here and eat crow. But right now, I've got them finishing fourth behind the Green Bay Packers, who I'm taking third in this division. The Packers are building themselves to succeed, but not this year. They've still got a ways to go. They're making the right moves. They're setting themselves up to be good here in the coming years. But this year, they don't have the firepower to compete with the other two teams in that division. There are two teams that are just flat out better than them. They have flat out better rosters, and they don't have chemistry problems. I still think they're at least one, maybe two years away. Second place in that division, I'm going with the Chicago Bears, which means the Vikings are my pick to win the NFC North. Chicago's defense is going to be their backbone once again. But the reason their defense was so good last year was because of the turnover battle. Their turnover ratio was outstanding. That's really hard to replicate year to year. It's really tough to be able to sustain that. That's why I don't think they're going to be as good defensively as they were last year. They'll still be talented, but how are you going to repeat coming up with that many turnovers year to year? Same thing the Vikings and Jaguars went through in 2018. Now the Bears got some offensive weapons. I think David Montgomery is going to be fun to watch. Mitch Trubisky might even take a step forward under Matt Nagy. But it was Chicago's defense that set them apart last year, and I think it'll be good, just not as good. Still a top-five defense, but maybe not a top-one defense anymore. 
The Vikings, however, are my pick to win the division. Yeah, Kirk Cousins isn't living up to the contract he has. He's still got really good targets to make him look good. Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, Kyle Rudolph, Dalvin Cook in the backfield. If he can stay healthy, he is a difference maker. Defensively, though, they're going to be really fun to watch this year. They've got a multitude of talent defensively, and it's going to be supplemented by their offense. Offensively, Kevin Stefanski is going to be calling the plays. Gary Kubiak has laid out the offensive system, which he didn't show at all during the preseason, nor should he have. This year, the Vikings are going to get back to a run-heavy offense as they should have been last year under John DeFilippo, and with that is going to come a stronger defense. I believe the Vikings are going to have a season like they did in 2017, and they will be the NFC North champions. Let's go to the East, where in fourth place I have the Washington Redskins. They are just a mess right now. The Redskins are just in turmoil. They don't know what their quarterback situation is. Case Keenum just beat out Dwayne Haskins, who many people thought was the best quarterback in this year's draft class. I didn't, but a lot of people did. And Case Keenum beat him out for the starting job. They open week one in Philadelphia. The last time Case Keenum played a game at Lincoln Financial in Philadelphia was the 2017-2018 NFC Championship game where the Vikings got smoked by the Eagles en route to their Super Bowl 51 victory. I don't know if that means anything for Week 1, but you know that Keenum's going to be thinking about it. The Trent Williams holdout just shows what a mess a Dan Snyder run team is. They've got a running back in debt, aging out of the league, not a lot of big names surrounding him. Washington just doesn't have that good of a roster. They haven't had a good offseason. The Giants, however, have had a really good offseason. They are going to finish third in that division, in my opinion. They've got Daniel Jones as their safety net. He's lighting a fire under Eli Manning. Eli had his moments in the preseason, but what I liked about Eli, I know you can't take a whole lot from the preseason, but what I did like from what I saw about him, Eli running for first downs, lowering the shoulder, not afraid to put the hit out, He hasn't done that in years. Regular season, preseason, playoffs. Eli finally has a fire underneath him. He finally has competition, and he knows it. And that kind of aggressiveness, I like to see, especially in the preseason where these games aren't going to matter. The Giants had a 4-0 preseason. They got a group that's underdogs. They're going to fly under the radar. Ever since the draft, New York has had a good offseason. They're trending up. I don't think they'll finish better than third this year. But you got to like what you're seeing out of New York right now. Number two, whether Ezekiel Elliott holds out or not, the Dallas Cowboys finished second in that division, in my opinion. Right now, you have Jerry Jones flexing, doing troll moves against the star running back. Jalen Smith and Lael Collins both became some of the highest paid players at their respective positions before Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. Dallas has not had a good offseason. They've had turmoil. They've had distractions away from football. I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants win in week one against the Cowboys. In fact, I'm going to pick it. I'm going to pick the Giants to beat the Cowboys in week one just based on how their offseasons have trended. But whether Zeke is in the lineup or not, Philadelphia, to me, is the team that is going to win the NFC East. They've got a lot of things that they need to figure out this offseason. I believe they have. I'm excited to see the product they put out on the field this year. Carson Wentz knows that he's got something to prove. Nick Foles isn't there anymore. I don't even think Nate Sudfeld is there anymore. I don't think he's healthy. Now it's McCown, your safety net. Zach Ertz is primed for another big year. I think Philadelphia is going to win that division. And finally, we'll go to the NFC South, 
where I have got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming in fourth. You have three potential playoff teams ahead of them. Maybe they'll be better this year. Maybe Bruce Arians is what Jameis Winston needed. But I don't think it's enough to finish any higher than the seller of that division. Jameis is going to have a few weapons he can work with. Mike Evans, a top 10 wide receiver. Got a couple of good tight ends, O.J. Howard, Cameron Bright. But other than that, you don't have a lot to work with if you're Tampa Bay. Buccaneers, maybe they'll be better this year, but not standings-wise. Number three, I'm going with the Carolina Panthers. Cam Newton is going to do his best to rely on Greg Olson, rely on his running game, but there's not much else around him right now. Carolina's going to have one of the most predictable playbooks in football. Not on Ron Rivera's fault, but because his playbook is limited to his quarterback skill set. And for Cam Newton, it's a quick out to Olsen, quick slant, or he runs the ball. There's not a lot of other options with him. Matt Ryan, I think, is primed to take a step forward this year. I think the Falcons are going to be one of the most improved teams in the NFC, probably second most behind Minnesota. I think he's primed for a really good year, and he's got a really good receiving group between Calvin Ridley, Mohamed Sanu, Owen Julio Jones, plus Austin Hooper, really underrated tight end. I think big things are coming for Atlanta, but the New Orleans Saints are my pick to win the entire NFC this year. The Saints, to me, are primed for success right now more than any other team in the NFC. They're top five in all three major offensive categories, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas. Saints are just going to be too good. They're my pick to win the NFC this year. I think they're going to get to 14 wins. I say 14-2 and two for New Orleans, they win the NFC. So those are my picks, division by division, how they finish in the NFC this year. In the West, Seattle, L.A., San Fran, Arizona. In the North, Minnesota, Chicago, Green Bay, Detroit. In the East, Philadelphia, Dallas, New York, Washington. And in the South, New Orleans, Atlanta, Carolina, Tampa Bay. Let's take our last time out when we come back. The USA... A real nail-biter day over in Shanghai. They come out with a victory. How do they stack up, though, against the rest of the world? How optimistic should we be going forward after today? That's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of our show today or you just want to listen again, just liked it so much you got to hear it twice, then you can check that out on demand with our free mobile app, which you can get from the Apple iStore or Google Play, or go to our website, ESPNUP.com. Tanner Hoops with you as we wind down on this Tuesday evening. Glad to have you along as always. Take a look at the FIBA World Cup, the Basketball World Cup happening in China. The U.S. dodged a major bullet today. We were gifted a victory against Turkey today. There were a lot of questions coming into this tournament. How would the U.S. fare without its big-name superstars? Send in our B-minus, our C-plus team over there. Would we still get the gold? Would we still have that level of dominance that the U.S. is used to achieving? Well, we shouldn't have had it after today's game, but we came away with a nail-biting victory this morning against Turkey. The U.S. went to overtime. Overtime, by the way, forced when Jason Tatum hit a pair of free throws to force the extra session. Once we got to overtime, we went down by five, as many as five, 89 to 84, before Turkey decided to help us out. Turkey missed four straight free throws in overtime that would have won them the ball game. Chris Middleton, who really struggled so far with Team USA, was fouled 
and he hit two free throws to go up by 193-92. Turkey inbounded, got off a three. It was no good, and the U.S. escaped with a 93-92 overtime victory over Turkey. A win we didn't deserve. Really, Turkey just gave it to us. But as it is, the U.S. is 2-0 in group stage play, and they're looking to claim the Group E championship with a win on Thursday. Let me give you a look at the other scores from today around the World Cup. Australia won 81-68 against Senegal. New Zealand, 93-83 over Montenegro. The Dominican Republic won a good one against Germany, 70-68. The Czech Republic, 89-76 over Japan. Lithuania thumped Canada, 92-69. This is an important one. Remember this one. Brazil over Greece, 79-78. to That's going to be an important one. I'm going to tell you why in a few moments. And then France thumping Jordan, 103-64. to So let me give you an overview of the standings, where we are right now. In Group A, Poland is on top. They're 2-0. China and Venezuela, each 1-1. The Ivory Coast is 0-2. Keep in mind, the top two teams from each group move on. In Group B, Argentina and Russia are both 2-0. Those are going to be the two teams moving on. We know they play each other to close out group play, and that matchup will determine seeding. Nigeria and South Korea each 0-2. In Group C, you have Spain on top. No surprise, they're 2-0. Puerto Rico and Tunisia each 1-1. Iran is 0-2. Group D, Serbia and Italy. We know are both going to be moving on to the knockout stage. They will square off against each other to close out group play. That will determine the top seed from that group and goal in the Philippines each 0-2. Then in Group B, the U.S. 2-0, Turkey, the Czech Republic 1-1, Japan is 0-2. In Group F, Brazil 2-0, Greece and New Zealand each 1-1, and Montenegro is 0-2. Group G, France and the Dominican Republic each 2-0, Germany and Jordan 0-2, and then Group H, Lithuania and Australia both 2-0, Canada and Senegal are 0-2. Now why was that Brazil-Greece score significant? Well, because the U.S. is playing Japan on Thursday to close out group play. Japan is ranked 48th internationally. They're the weakest team in the U.S.'s group. The U.S. should thump Japan, who again is 0-2. They've been outscored by 32 points in their two World Cup games. The U.S. should win that one. But would it be a good thing for them if they do? The winner of the U.S.'s group, Group E, will face the second-place team in Group F. And vice versa, the second-place team in E will play the first-place team in F. And from there, it's a single-elimination tournament. If the U.S. wins Group E... They'll get the second-place team in F. Still with me so far? Brazil is in first in F. They beat Greece 79-78, to which means Greece, in all likelihood, is going to win on Thursday, and they will advance to the knockout stage as the number two seed in Group F, which means they would match up with the United States if everything goes according to plan, if everybody plays how they're supposed to. The U.S. is supposed to win, Brazil is supposed to win, and Greece is supposed to win. If that all works out on Thursday, the U.S. will play Greece in the round of 16, in the knockout stage. And you know what comes with Greece? It comes with Giannis Antetokounmpo, Thanasis Antetokounmpo. And that Greece team that lost to Brazil today could very well face the U.S. in the round of 16. We're talking about the U.S. not even making it to the quarterfinals And I know, I know, Greece lost to Brazil. But the U.S. just got taken to the wire by Turkey, whose best player was Ersan Ilyasova. 
The U.S. needed overtime and about every break late to go our way just to beat Turkey and Ersan Ilyasova. How are we going to play like we did today and beat Giannis once we get to the knockout stage? Then there's no group play to fall back on. It is one and done. One bad game, that's it. I don't think the U.S. would have problems with Brazil. I think the U.S., the way they match up, will be fine against Brazil. But Giannis is such a tough matchup. Giannis is going to be a problem for the U.S. if they meet Greece in the knockout stage. Although Giannis and Middleton could be fun. Middleton was our best player today, by the way. 15 points on 5-9 shooting, 2-4 from behind the arc. He came off the bench. He played well for us. We needed Middleton today. Had the two game-winning free throws at the end of overtime. But I tell you what, group stage will conclude over the course of the next two days. They'll have the other half of the groups playing tomorrow. Actually, I should say early this morning. The Philippines and Angola will start the day at 3.30 a.m. here at Marquette, Michigan in the Eastern Time Zone. Then Poland, Ivory Coast at 4, 4.30 Tunisia, Puerto Rico, 7.30 Serbia and Italy. 8 o'clock this morning, China and Venezuela, 8.30 Argentina, Russia, and then 8.30 Iran and Spain. I should say 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. All those games are going to occur tomorrow morning. And then the U.S., of course, taking on Japan on Thursday morning to close out group play. That game, by the way, will tip off 8.30 here in the East Coast. Hey, quickly before we go out of time, let's give baseball a little attention. Let's take a look at tonight's scoreboard where you've got the Rangers and Yankees, Edison Valquez against John Paxton, 6.40 start for Philadelphia at Cincinnati. Vince Velasquez will take on Luke Sims. And a 6.40 start for Baltimore at Tampa Bay. Pitching matchup to be determined. 7.05 start Mets at Nationals. Jacob DeGrom against Max Scherzer. Two teams really battling for a wild card spot. Another 7.05 game Miami at Pittsburgh. Sandy Alcantara against Mitch Keller. 7.10 Twins at Red Sox. Randy Dobnak goes up against Rick Porcello. Also at 7.10 White Sox at Indians. Dylan Cease and Mike Clevenger. 7.20 Blue Jays at Braves. Wilmer Font and Mike Fultonevich. 7.40 the Brewers game two against Houston after their marathon yesterday. Jordan Lyles goes for his 10th win against Zach Greinke. 7.45, Giants at Cardinals, Derek Rodriguez and Jack Flaherty. 8.05, Mariners at Cubs, Felix Hernandez and John Lester. 8.15, Tigers taking on the Royals, Daniel Norris and Mike Montgomery. 9.40, Padres at Diamondbacks, Ronald Bolanos against Merrill Kelly. 10.07, Angels at A's, Jose Berea against Mike Fiers. And at 10.10, the Rockies at the Dodgers, Chichi Gonzalez against Julio Urias. That is a look at tonight's Major League Baseball scoreboard. Again, some races to keep an eye on in the American League. All three division leaders starting to widen their gap. The closest is Cleveland, five and a half games behind Minnesota. Cleveland hanging on for dear life to their playoff hopes after going on the skids as of late. Tampa Bay still leading the wild card race by half a game. Oakland is one game back of Cleveland. The Cardinals have a three-game lead over the Cubs for the NL Central. Chicago currently occupying the second wildcard spot, two and a half games ahead of Philadelphia. Arizona three and a half back, the Mets and Brewers each four, San Fran eight, and the Padres ten. That is it for our show today. I appreciate you tuning in as always. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. A reminder, check us out on demand if you missed any part of the show or you want to hear it again. 
Share with your friends. ESPNUP.com, the place to go, or get our mobile app from the Apple High Store or Google Play. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, and it is my hope that you join me. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoops, one day closer to football. We'll see you tomorrow.